Welcome to Bleacher Blum, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now, the current master of banter for the Houston Astros television broadcast team, Blummer. Gates are open and bleachers are filling up. My gosh, it has been a good week. I know that it has been. It feels it feels like a week has gone by, which it actually has. But at the same time, it actually feels like we, we should have been talking a little bit more. I know that uh, that last podcast really set some people off. It really brought attention to what happened last week with the Houston Astros and the whole Jake Bereznik situation. But I, I have to absolutely applaud the fans and the interaction and the way they went out there and downloaded, made the responses on Twitter, they did a great job of actually spreading that uh, that topic and that podcast out because we really hit it at the right time. Uh, a lot of time in life in order to uh, to maximize opportunity, you got to take advantage of timing. And that's what Tuttle and I did last week with that podcast right before the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, somewhere in the vicinity of Southern California, played against the Houston Astros. And Tuttle and I set it up, and it was great to have kind of the, you know, myself on the offensive side being the hitter. And then on the other side, you had David Tuttle talking about the pitching side. And what I thought was absolutely perfect about that podcast last week is that we set everything up very nicely. We ran through the play again, talking about the decision-making in a short amount of time for Jake Marisnik and Jonathan Lucroy. We talked about uh, the suspension. We haven't heard much about the the appeal for Jake Marisnik. I imagine the next couple of days we'll hear about that. But then we kind of got into the men- mental side of it and what the repercussions might be and how the situation might be handled. And I know we're kind of getting off to an electric start. I do want to see how Tuttle's doing. But I at first, at first, I want to tell Tuttle, great job last podcast. You did a phenomenal job in breaking down the play, giving us the pitcher's perspective on how to handle some of those situations. We even got a look into some of your minor league situations that we talked about where you were in a situation where you've got to, you know, you've got to respect your teammates and go after a guy. But the point I think I'm trying to make is that you said, if we, if you hit Jake Marisnik, who's expecting to be hit in the ribs, the butt, the leg, the ankle, whatever, Everything would have been fine, and we would have continued on playing baseball. But instead, Noe Ramirez lost his shit, threw one up around the neck of Jake Marisnik, and hell broke loose. And that's exactly what Tuttle was talking about. I don't know if you want to reflect on that, Tuttle, but uh, you did a great job. And how did you feel about the whole situation after it happened? I appreciate that. Uh, we finally got one right. No, I think um, we keep talking about the shape that we want this podcast to take, and obviously... Um, I think, as you already touched on, we got that one right last week just because, you know, that's a situation that kind of hit home for both of us. Uh, I did like the feedback and the uh, banter that the fans put up on Twitter regarding our conversation. But I think when my dad's favorite saying was, know what you don't know, I, I think you've learned this over the time that we've uh, got acquainted on doing this podcast. But, you know, this is a small fraternity. When you played baseball your whole life, I think... Uh, you know, at a high level, I should say, I think we understand the ins and outs. And uh, certainly, you're not always able to be as candid on on air, maybe with the uh, Astros broadcast, but we, uh, we hit the nail on the head, because this is our it's it was in our wheelhouse. I mean, we both understand the, the dynamics that go on in the clubhouse and some of the politics. And I think the insight that you brought was uh, certainly helpful to me, because I think somebody was mentioning that, you know, 
Heaney was a teammate of Marisnik and the Marlins organization, you know, I mean, all those little puzzle pieces get put together. And you and I have that conversation often about, oh, you know, you know, Randy Wynn. Yeah, Randy Wynn went to Santa Clara. He was right behind me. And now he works for the Giants. And then when you, you know, Astros play the Giants, you get to see him like, you know, these little circles kind of get tied together. But, uh, but yeah, I think, I think that podcast uh, really hit home with a lot of folks because, that was a national story, but also that uh, we were fortunate enough to talk about it right before it happened. So uh, let's try and do that every podcast. Let's predict the future and see how that goes. Yeah, seriously, we would uh, probably garner a lot of followers trying to figure out how to bet on the next outing or get that uh, side bet in Vegas on where he, where, you know, where does the guy hit the next guy in the neck or in the in the butt? But uh, it was it was good stuff. I'm glad that we got so many uh, good reviews on it. A lot of people talking about it. It obviously, like Tuttle just said, it was a national topic. So we kind of hit it at the right moment. And obviously us being as close to the situation to be able to talk to some of the guys and get some of the insight and really feel what the game is going through. And even though that, even though Tuttle and I are removed from the game, you know, I'm, I haven't played in seven years. Tuttle played in the minor leagues a while back, but we still, you know, there's some underlying themes that still kind of stretch to this day as far as on the field play, you may not hear much about it as far as media or some of these guys being outright vocal about it, but there are, there still is that underlying theme where you protect your own and that's what the angels are trying to do, but they just went around it the wrong way. And that's what led to cause some of the, uh, you know, the, the, the chatter on the field. It wasn't the bench clearing thing is another hilarious thing to me because there's a good way to stop a lot of the, the banter and a lot of the throwing at people especially in the American league. If you just go out and start trying to beat up a pitcher that might make him think next time about hitting a guy, because you don't know who's going to lose it and go out there. But I think baseball's kind of, you know, skewed that a little bit or discouraged it because of fines and uh, suspension. So the only way to really get to ball players and athletes, I would say in all sports these days is take away playing time, take away money. So it kind of discourages that, but glad that nothing came of it. Jake Marisnik, on the other hand, handled it, probably better than anybody I've ever seen in any sport, in any situation. He, he, he told us it was unintentional when he hit Jonathan Lucroy. We all believe that. It was a tough play. But at the same time, he, understand, he understood there would be retribution and said, if they, you know, he, in, underneath, he said, hey, if they hit me, they hit me. I'm going to go to first. We're going to move on and play baseball. He goes, I don't want to bring any more attention to this than I have to. He gets hit up, almost in the neck. And does what exactly what he said. He had every right to be pissed and go run out to the mound and beat the tar out of Noe Ramirez if he could, but instead stuck to he just stuck to what he said, took the hit by pitch, went to first base, and to the point where his his brothers in the dugout were upset, started yelling, came out of the dugout, and he was like, "Get back in the dugout, let these guys look like idiots for throwing at me in the neck, and let's play some baseball." Um, I don't know if you have an opinion on Jake Marizic, but I was very proud of the fact that he handled it the way he did. We talk about this all the time, and this is a, a really – it's always easy to say this is how I would handle the situation until the situation comes up, right? And how do we handle um, – uh, I don't know, how do we, do we handle it with panic or do we handle it, uh, do we say one thing and do another? And I think in hindsight, and we we have touched on this before – maturity comes way after like there are things that I did when I was 22 23 that I would have liked to have handled differently and I think that's kind of the advantage of us having this armchair quarterback seat on the podcast but I I could not be more impressed I don't know Jake at all but I could not be more impressed to have a young you know 25 26 year old guy handle a situation like that and I think obviously if he'd gotten hurt it would be different 
I mean, you know, if it hit him in the head and he was laid out and, you know, all of that. But like you said, he said that he was expecting it and this is the way he's going to handle it. And he understands, although what he did was unintentional, that uh, this is the, you know, the mel the melding of the old school, new school stuff that we've also touched on, that uh, that he was just going to take his medicine and uh, and go home. And he did that and then continue to rake. I mean, the next day, I think he went three for three and drove in a bunch of runs. So I, I'm. I would say if I knew the guy, I mean, if that's your kid, that's exactly how you'd want him to handle it. If you have any sort of association as a manager, you got to be proud of it. As a teammate, you got to be proud of it. And certainly as a, you know, as a parent, which we've talked about quite a bit, I would be more than happy to have my son handle a situation like that. Yep. Jake Marizic is an excellent, excellent example of how to play the game, period. But then the way he handled that controversial situation was even better. And I agree with you, Tuttle. The way you answer back to your enemies is play better. And he went out and did that and led the Astros to two more wins to finish off that series. It has been good to, good for them. And how about the electric start? Recapping that, I think I caught may have caught Tuttle off guard. So kudos to you for being on your toes and being prepared for that and, and, and having some insight because it was a heavy topic last week. And we appreciate everybody who subscribed, downloaded. It was a very good week as far as downloads. It was very quick, very reactive which I appreciate, and I hope that you continue to subscribe, rate, review, let us know what's going on. Uh, you can reach Tuttle on Twitter, at RealDavidTuttle. He's got the Tuttle quotes of the day. They've been pretty good lately. You've been doing a good job on that, Tuttle. And then you can also reach me, at Blummer27, on Twitter. Uh, I mean, we both have the same handles on Instagram also, at RealDavidTuttle, and myself, at Blummer27. So make sure you get on that, follow us. And you'll get the latest podcast if you do follow us on Twitter, because I am constantly trying to get those up there as quickly as possible and get that stuff going because you want to subscribe. So you get uh, the, the alert when we have a new podcast out because you don't want to miss what will Tuttle say. You don't want to miss the Astros updates. You get a little bit of Blum and Blummer mixed in there and some other stuff mixed in between. But uh, it's been good content of late. And Tuttle, I think we want to get things started here pretty quick. First of all, I want to know how you're doing. I kind of threw the topic at you, and I didn't really have a chance to welcome you into the show and see how things are going this week, man. Yeah, going great. I uh, we talk about this often, but I like the uh, the weekly podcast that we have going. I actually feel like now that we'll probably have more time in the off season when I thought initially during the season's a really good time to do the podcast. Um, got to see you last week. And although we did the podcast in the same format, but it was great to grab lunch with you. We actually were in the same room for a little bit. Didn't talk a whole lot of business, but caught up on uh, families and uh, the good old times. But uh, yeah, no, everything's going well. We got a little rain here today and uh, the summer is speeding to a close, as you know. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll leave it at that. I'm, I'm doing great. And uh, it was awesome to see you last week. So. Yeah, and the weather actually here today, believe it or not, I think it's going to top out at like 90, but the mornings and the evenings have been 75 degrees, if not lower. It's been pretty pleasant, which has been a lot of fun to have the windows down on the car, actually crack that seal and uh, let some airflow and turn off the AC. So my Freon intake is a little bit less these last couple of days, and it was good seeing you last week. I completely boxed the bringing an extra microphone and being able to set that thing up so we couldn't do it face-to-face, -face. but uh, through technology, we're still thankful to be able to get get the podcast up and going and get those things out there. But at the same time, it's always as much as I, I enjoy Houston, I am thankful to be in Houston and the city and the people obviously have been absolutely unbelievable to, you know, to me and my family. 
it's always tough going back home, especially a place that I grew up. My wife grew up. My kids were born and raised in uh, in Southern California until the last couple of years. So going back is always a little bit uh, tough at times, just because you you know there's so many memories, so many things there that remind you of of what you had when you were growing up and the families that you miss. You're never going to make everybody happy. You go back and you try and visit as many people. Uh, friends wise, there's, you know, there's friends that understand it a little bit better than most about how busy the schedule is. Uh, but you do miss some people. So it's always tough to try and delegate who you're going to see on what trip or, you know, things like that. But it's always great to see it. My brother does a very good job of making a point to come to games with the family so I can see the kids and things like that. Uh, cause it's a little bit tougher. He's, he's really far inland in California, but he makes the trek to come out and watch an Angels and Astros game. And I get to see him always grateful for that. But at the same time, getting on that plane is always a little bit tough until I remember how much the gas costs in Texas. So there's, there's a little give and take on both sides, but it, it, it is bittersweet. But Tuttle did a great job of making some time, driving me around, taking me to a burger joint that I enjoy when I'm in Southern California. So it was a lot of fun hanging out with Tuttle. Uh, but you know, with that left coast, third coast mindset that we've got right now, why don't we just get right into it? Because I know that David Tuttle, is chomping at the bit because earlier in the season when we started this podcast talking about baseball and the future of a certain Bay Area team not in Oakland, there was concern about how many guys, oh, by the way, Tuttle on FaceTime has a San Francisco Giants hat on, so he's in full, you know, giant regalia now, proud of what they're doing. And I'm going to let him go with it because we talked about early in the season how the the Giants might have some trade chips. Now there might be a little bit of a question mark, Tuttle. They're in second place in the National League West for the first time since April of 2018, man. What do you got? Look at you at the statistics. So, by the way, uh, this is the third podcast in a row I've been wearing this hat. So let's not let's not just say <laughs> that Tuttle got on the bandwagon. But front runner. Um, so the Giants are seventeen and four since the All Star break. I, I guess uh, I was grinning ear to ear, and I'm excited to see the Giants. And you know, I, anybody that's listened to this, I think we're podcast number twenty six. We passed our twenty fifth anniversary. But, uh, you know, spring training, I said the pundits were wrong and hope springs eternal. And then a month or two into the season, I said, oh, no, the Giants, they need to trade everybody and start over. What, what happened to me? I'm supposed to be this like even keel, like old school baseball guy. And I'm like, oh, yeah, they're good. Oh, no, they're terrible. But uh, but it is interesting to watch them play well right now. And they've got a lot of the young talent actually coming in and contributing. Uh uh, Carl Yastrzemski, when I was a little kid, was a superstar for the Red Sox. And it's either, I believe it's his nephew or grandson that's playing for the Giants. Mm -hmm. You could probably fill that in. No? Do you know? I think, it's, I think it's his nephew. Yeah, so I think it's his nephew. Yeah. But I mean, you know, I mean, uh, Dickerson's a stud. Pilar has been playing outstanding. I mean, I think he's batting like 230. And I always make fun of Mark Belandra on this podcast. But Pilar makes... He makes like three diving plays a game. I mean, it's it is a little. It's one thing, and I know the Astros are full of great defense. You keep talking about um, Reddick on the wall out there, and you got Marisnik patrolling center field. But man, I mean, it's it's amazing to watch a guy make like three fantastic catches a game. That's pretty pretty impressive. But I guess I would throw it to you. I'll know this is left coast, uh, third coast, but seventeen and four. They're obviously on a hot streak. We know that hot streaks and cold streaks just come and go. But where does that put you when the trade deadline's approaching? Um, the big issue with the Giants right now is do they get rid of uh, Mad Bum? Do they trade Madison Bumgarner to a contender? 
and then you know let the chips fall where they may as they've moved into second place here and then obviously that gives them a shot at the wild card if they continue to play well but will they be able to surpass the giants or the dodgers i don't think so um you know the dodgers and the astros continue to fight for that best record spot and i know the giants are just hit 500 for the first time again you said since april of 2018 they're in second place but i think they just hit 500 since the first time yeah maybe last year as well not this year they had never been at 500 this year so i believe they're 61 and 61 right now so what what do you think um i'm bringing into my left coast stuff here but what do you think that the giants should do uh here approaching the all-star break in terms of you know moving it's a tough forward? call because if you if you remember it's still a unique situation up in san francisco because of the bruce Bochi factor so Bochy's on the, you know, the last year of his deal. He has mentioned that he's going to retire at the end of the year. So I don't want to take away from what could be a special year for the San Francisco Giants, but just checking out the numbers and trying to understand where they're at. They're tied for second place with the Arizona Diamondbacks in the National League West. But what that means is they're 14 and a half games out of first place in the National League West. So for me, that's a mountain. That is a massive mountain for them to try and climb out of. Not that they couldn't do it, but you'd need a major implosion on the L.A. Dodgers park, which I don't see happening because the only their bullpen is eh, but their starting pitching is good. They're raking. They play great defense. They're kind of on a roll, and they're feeling it. So let's go to the wild card. They're three games out of the wild card, and that's not a bad number. That's obviously an achievable number. But the problem for me is how many teams do you have to leapfrog to get over and into the wild card? And that's kind of where the issue sets in for me. You've got to get past Arizona, who they're tied with right now. Milwaukee, a very good team. Philadelphia, a very good team. Both in, in very tough divisions, too. So there is the opportunity that those guys can fall out a little bit. I wonder. For me, the Phillies are a question mark for me. I think they're better than they're playing, but they're not playing as well. So there, there might be an opportunity for them to fall off a little bit. Uh, Milwaukee, I think, is going to continue to be well because they might be one of those teams that makes a move towards towards the stretch here in the last week to, to push them into that wild card. And another thing about the National League Central is you're going to have St. Louis, Milwaukee. It looks like Cincinnati. There's a lot of teams in contention for the, for the National League Central and that wild card. The Cubs are in there. So it's kind of interesting how that's going to play out. But I'm trading. I hate to say it. I just think that there's so much value. You know, Bumgarner, is he at the end of his deal? Uh, he is. So he, he's going to be a rental and gone by the end of the year. So if you can get a modest return for a guy like Bumgarner, why not? And set up for next year. You're going to have a new manager, have some quality talent come in. Uh, Will Smith is is obviously an appealable guy. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a joke around here with, you know, broadcasters in Houston were kind of like, oh, let's put together, you know, a four-player package and go out there and get Will Smith and Bumgarner because that solves two problems with one stone and you may not you need to get rid of some of your top prospects because they're, you know, they're rentals. Bumgarner is going to be gone at the end of the year and he's going to be serviceable through the playoffs because he's got a great reputation in it. But uh, if you're asking my opinion and if, if I'm in the front office, I'm, I'm making a change. Great. I, you know, it's great that you, uh, that you just stepped up and made it, uh, you know, obviously my heart is like, Oh no, we want, you know, mad bum and Bochi to have a last run. But I think you're right. I mean, the Patriots are known for it. The San Antonio Spurs, right. They take emotion out of it, right. They make the best business decision for the organization. And I would agree with you. Does mad bum have one year left? You know, I just, I don't like getting on the internet while we're on this podcast, but I, I think he's at the end of his deal. That's why all year long, they've been talking about him as a potential trade. Um, they could probably get something a little more than a modest return 
based on his history in the uh, in the playoffs. And I think, like you said, I, I don't know if you want to trade both those guys, but you could, if you could get one or two other good young players, you know, a huge prospect and a serviceable guy that could continue to help you kind of finish the year. I, I think their challenge, and I don't know, is it uh, Zaidi? Yeah. So Farhan Zaidi, he's, I don't think, I don't think he has any fear of making a trade. Like he doesn't care what the people think. And I think that that's, you know, if he has the best interest of the giants at heart, then I'm, I'm okay with the trade as well. I just think that 17 and four since the all-star break and the emotion of it all. I mean, you know, this very well from a business perspective, it's great to be a fan, but from a business perspective, you want to take that emotion out of it. And, and I think it's great that you made that point. Like, yeah, if you're in the front office, you're making a move. This might be your, uh, this might be your foray into being an assistant GM soon. And uh, we'll see what where this takes your career because you you've got the uh, the guts and the uh, and the heart to say yep you're making the move and uh, let Bochi uh, you know ride off into the sunset with the uh, with the best team possible. But I, I I would agree with you. I think I don't know. I I also don't know if they can keep up that 17 and four. Uh, I mean 17 and four only puts them like you said 14 games back and still three games back. That's you know if they would have to go like 34 and eight to make another jump. Right. And 34 and eight is a lot different than 17 and four. So great point. Yeah. You need a, you need a 34 and eight. You need the Dodgers to play sub 500 baseball, which you really don't see happening. That's the hard part. Uh, I just looked up Bumgarner's deal. He's only making 12 million this year or something. I don't understand that. That seems like a ridiculous amount to pay for a guy like that. That's, uh, but, but in a good way, like highly appealing way to where I'd give up somebody to get him for the next year because he is an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season. You know what else you got to take into account too is a, a guy like Buster Posey. You know, he's having a great year too, kind of a resurging type year for him, Brandon Crawford at, at shortstop. So you do have some of those salty veterans playing for the Giants. I wonder how those guys would feel about it. And I wonder if, you know, Madison Bumgarner's opinions kind of changed about it because it's interesting with his contract, how he's kind of that no trade clause is, again, is for uh, contending teams. So he, you know, even if the Astros or, you know, the Yankees or somebody wants to go out and get him, he can, he can actually sit there and go, you know what, as appealing as it would be to go try and play for a playoff or a world series contending team, I'm, I'm going to sit back, I'm going to hang with my boys and I'm going to finish it out for Boach. And obviously his street cred in San Francisco is high as it is, but if he did something like that, they may end up building him a statue out there in San Francisco. Oh, I, I would agree. KNBR.com had an article regarding, um, I think it was an anonymous source, but how two or three guys, and you just mentioned Posey and, and Crawford, and I don't know if they're the anonymous source, but trading Mad Bum is what they said would really just demoralize the clubhouse, and they can't do that. So I don't know if that was, you know, that's one of those, yeah, I'll tell you this on the slide, but I'm also going to, you know, I'm going to try and influence what's going on. So and I, you know, I just don't know if the front office cares about that. I mean, ultimately, um, uh, this is a little uh, a side note. I watched the Cleveland Browns on SportsCenter yesterday, which is hilarious. They're just getting so overhyped in the NFL. But basically, Kitchen, <laughs> the new coach, Freddie Kitchens, and uh, and the um, Dorsey were sitting on the podium, and he said, "I'm going to say this once. I'm never going to say it again. Our goal every year is to win the Super Bowl. All right. So I don't want to ever say that again. I, that's hilarious." Uh, because yeah, I think if you're running a professional organization, the goal is to get to the top of the mountain. 
And back to what we were just saying about Farhan Zaidi. I mean, his goal is to win the, the World Series with the Giants. He doesn't care if Bochi wins his fourth one. He doesn't care if Mad, Mad Bum's on the mound for the win. He just wants to win it. And I think, you know, he'll make the decision that he, see, he, that he feels is the best for the organization. But I think having some salty vets, as you mentioned, um, put in their two cents anonymously or otherwise, is uh, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. And I appreciate you, uh, you saying you'd make the trade. I like that. Now, in Houston, they keep talking about getting Thor or Strowman. I'm like, <laughs> I wonder, yeah, that's what you need to add to Garrett Cole and Verlander. Like, what are they going to have to trade to get those guys? I mean, good grief. No, I'm with you on that. That that's a whole another animal, and and I actually wrote that in my notes. So I appreciate Tuttle bringing that up, is because the trade deadline is coming, and uh, for those who subscribe and listen to us frequently, we are going to try and crank out a pre-trade deadline podcast for you guys. Because if we hear any more information or some of these rumors get a little more spicy, we want to get those out there and talk about them. And I love that Tuttle brought that up because that's one of the few things I did make notes on for this podcast, because it is something that needs to be talked about because there is no two trade deadlines. There's no waiver trade deadline this year. Like the Astros got Justin Verlander in, in 2017. So you've got one shot. This is it. And uh, July 31st is that trade deadline. And the Astros obviously have made it that made everybody on the planet very aware that they want to go out and get a starting pitcher, if not more, to help shore up that bullpen. There's a left-handed reliever out there. They might be checking out in on that left-handed reliever because I think that, you know, if Devo and Harris are on, there's your competitive uh, pitchers against left-handed hitters. But if they had that one more left-handed uh, pitcher to go out and be a situational type guy, that would be beneficial. But getting back to the starting rotation. And adding a guy, you know, your dream sequence has you getting, you know, getting a guy like Noah Syndergaard uh, because he's 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 a lot of flash. He's a lot of power. The Astros love power arms. And if you get into a short series, what wins? Power arms win. Uh, power fastballs, power sliders. And they and I believe if you watch Noah Syndergaard, he's got a good slider. But I guarantee you the Astros are looking at this guy going oh, if we could just get our hands on this guy, we would make that slider that much better, which is astonishing because he already throws it at 95 miles an hour, I feel like. And he's got great strikeout stuff, but everybody that comes to the Astros, we've seen it, who are good, become better. Uh, Zach Greinke's another name that gets thrown out there. Oh, I'm not done with Syndergaard. Just contract, uh, some, some contract knowledge. He is arbitration eligible through 2021. So that's a guy who's highly appealing, but also would cost you a lot because you do get some club control in return. He's making $6 million this year. Obviously, that number is going to jump next year to $10 plus million because of his worth and how good he is. But uh, that's what makes him appealing, what makes you maybe want to go out there and get rid of one of those uh, you know, high prospect guys, the Whitleys, the Tuckers because the return's going to be good and you're trading him out of division, out of league. So you don't have to worry about if Whitley all of a sudden becomes a phenom, you don't have to face him. Cause I think that's probably the biggest fear. Wouldn't you agree? Tuttle, if you trade away some of these young guys, having them come back to haunt you. Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, hopefully as we kind of already touched on, you're making these decisions to win now, right? As many world series as we, we saw that with the warriors. I mean, people thought the warriors are going to in like six NBA championships in a row. It doesn't happen. So you make decisions now based on what you have and the information you have. But yeah, it, obviously it would hurt to have, <laughs> have uh, like Forrest Whitley come back and win like two world series and, you know, dominate and have a chip on his shoulder. So I think that, I guess that's always a consideration, but certainly like you said, with the Mets trading out of division, out of league, 
I mean, that, that, that just is another little feather in the deal's cap. So I think that's, that's a great point. Um, and then the other guys we're talking about, we already hit on Bumgarner, Will Smith. They're appealing because that's that left-handed reliever in Will Smith. Bumgarner has the street cred and the uh, you know the track record that says he's he's a big-time competitor deep in uh, the postseason, which is highly appealing. Zach Granke's another guy out there. I'm not too sure about him. His contract is outrageous. He's also signed through 2021, but he's making $35 million a year. So that's going to be a, a heavy negotiation trying to convince the Arizona Diamondbacks to take some of the bread out of that to make that deal appealing to the Houston Astros. Trevor Bauer is another guy. He's a rental type guy that you could get through the end of the year, but he's also a guy who's interested. He's He's been quoted as saying he would sign a one-year deal, but it would be a massive you know, $25, $30 million deal. Who knows? Uh, then there's the Marcus Stroman. We had a Stroh poll the other day, and a lot of fans said that Marcus Stroman is highly appealing. I I like him. He's controllable. I, th I think he might be at the end of his arbitration also, so he might be a short-term fix in that rotation. Uh, so I'm not sure how they feel about that. He's got phenomenal stuff, and he's on a great stretch right now. And he's probably one of the more competitive guys out there as far as energy. And, and there's something else that I want to throw out there that we haven't heard a lot about. You know, the catching situation, Robinson Chirinos is good. He's done a great job behind the plate, throws relatively well, works great with the starting rotation. Max Stassi, for me, really hasn't gotten an opportunity to see what he's all about. But if you were going to find, if you had the chance to find somebody who could alleviate some of the stress for Robinson Chirinos, how about a guy like James McCann for the Chicago White Sox? Had an all-star year. He's an offensive threat, but he also does a pretty good job behind the plate. So that's just kind of that's just me. Like like Tuttle said in my my associate or assistant to the GM thought mentality, where I'd come to the table and say, "Hey, what about this guy? Do you think he'd be available?" So some of those names are appealing, but uh, it's a lot of excitement because for me, because knowing that the Astros have the commodity to go out there and say, hey, we'll give you this for the return of this. So they have the option to actually even think about going out and getting a high profile guy like Noah Syndergaard is what makes it fun. And then you think back to 2017, where they actually did go out and get a high profile guy in Justin Verlander at the, at the waiver deadline. But don't forget about the offseason. They went out and got a high profile guy in Garrett Cole and look how it's paid off. So before I throw it over to Tuttle for his thoughts, the other thing you've got to think about if you're Jeff Luno is next year, Garrett Cole's having a phenomenal walk year. He's going to cost somebody a fortune in money. You know the Astros are going to try and sign him, but he's going to walk. Lance McCullers is coming off the D, the IL with his uh, shoulder elbow surgery, with his Tommy John surgery. So this year's great. How much are you willing to risk for this year? Because next year there's a lot of question marks. Yeah, so a couple of things there you touched on. One is I can't believe Granky's making three times more than Mad Mad Bum than Madison Bumgarner. 30 <laughs> 35 yeah. million to 12 million. That's amazing. So that 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 puts the appeal obviously on uh Madison Bumgarner, which is what they said before. Uh, Max Stassi, that was on Twitter and that was all over the news. And that's a tough one, like you said, whether he's got an opportunity or not. But Jeff Luno standing in front of a microphone saying, Oh yeah, we're we're looking for catching help. I mean, whoa. How do, how do you like to be on the 25-man roster? That, that, that's got to be a weird feeling. I mean, we talk about on the podcast, and I'm out of the game, and you're out of the game per se, obviously, as a player. You know, yeah, we love this guy, Max. He's great. He's a great part of our clubhouse, but we'll trade him in a heartbeat. 
or uh, we'll drop him for a, a, a more offensive catcher like James McCann if we get the opportunity. That, that's got to be a weird feeling, but, you know, that's the business of it. And then the last thing, I, and I thought I could throw this at you. Um, so I just know this being a, a left coast guy. So Garrett Cole and Trevor Bauer led the UCLA Bruins to the uh, NCAA championship for John Savage, a former Santa Clara Bronco head coach at UCLA. Shout out to him. And I don't think Garrett Cole and Trevor Bauer, who's a little bit of an odd bird, great pitcher, get along that well. So um, that's just what I know from afar. I don't know if they've had any sort of, um, you know, face-to-face -face conversations about it, or maybe I'm misunderstood. Maybe it's a little looser than that. Maybe it's, you know, obviously to win a World Series championship, you can let bygones be bygones. But I, I, am I mistaken in understanding that, or do you know anything about that? But I, I think Garrett and Cole and Trevor Bauer have a little bit of a kind of a little tension there. There is. You are correct, sir. Boom. Um, <laughs> and that even goes all the way back to college and nothing to speak of the fact that Trevor or Tyler Bauer, whatever you want to call him, you know, created a stir when Garrett Cole came over to the Houston Astros and he said an unnamed player all of a sudden gaining, you know, a couple extra RPMs in his spin rate. Oh, that's highly questionable. How is he doing it? you know, kind of referencing to the fact that the Astros might be cheating with pine tar or other substances or some other, you know, some other way to cheat the baseball and spin it faster. But there are some things in that closet that they're probably worried about, but I'm not sure, you know, before they make that trade, I would be willing to imagine that they've gone, to, you know, the Astros have gone to Garrett Cole and said, Hey, how would you feel if this guy came in our clubhouse and knowing Garrett Cole and hopefully enough I guarantee you he would be absolutely brutally honest with them and said, Hey, I, you know, I'm, I, this is me talking, not Garrickle. You know, I hate the guy, but I'm willing to go out there and win. And that's where I think that the, it might work because if you put two professional pitchers who want to succeed and want to win on the field in their walk years, you might be able to sustain a relationship where on the field, where we're buds in the, in the clubhouse. I can't stand the guy. And there's a way to actually go out there and play with that because I know with the White Sox in 2005 that there were certain guys in that clubhouse, you know, one of them was a catcher, one of them was a DH, a lot of people know who I'm talking about, who couldn't stand each other in the clubhouse. I mean, we literally separated them at, at one time. But when we were on the field, we wanted to beat the living hell out of everybody. And that's where it kind of gels and comes together and the professionalism and the desire to win kind of pops out and overwhelms the situation as opposed to letting some of those personal, you know, things get in the way. So that's where I hope that that, that relationship would go. But there is some animosity there that goes back to the college days. And there's also the animosity between Trevor Bauer and Alex Bregman. It's been widespread on Twitter, but I think those guys, uh, you have unique personalities to be able to work that out and maybe have some fun with it. But you do have to investigate that a little bit more before you make that trade, because God forbid you bring somebody who's toxic into your clubhouse and it separates everybody. And then you're, it's going to be real tough to go out there and win. So that's that's a point very well taken and probably talked about quite a bit in that clubhouse. Great. Well, I, you know, like I said, me not being in the clubhouse and understanding that there's some tension. I mean, obviously, that means it's probably where there's smoke, there's fire. If I'm able to pick up on it, I do know, like you said, that they played together in college and won a championship. And I don't know if the tension was as high then, but it might be as simple as saying, look, he pitches on a different day than I do. 
I pitch on this day, he pitches on that day, he goes out and does his job. I'm happy with that. Uh, you mentioned your catcher. I don't like your catcher from the 2005 White Sox either, but I had to play against him and he was tough. <laughs> he, he, but, but he used to be a giant. Yeah, there you go. He was a giant. Um, but but I would say with that, being a position player and a pitcher is different also. I mean, you know, not like Bregman, of course. Please, Alex, forgive me for saying this. I mean, it's not like Alex is going to boot balls for Bauer because he doesn't like him. But being an everyday player and having tension with the guy standing next to you on the uh, on the infield or the outfield, I think is a little bit different than saying, all right, you know, this guy pitches once every five days and we all know that you know, we had the joke beginning the, the entire podcast about pitchers being athletes or not. That's still the long running joke. There are similar to football. There's offense, defense, and special teams being a, a pitcher that, you know, has his own routine and throws on his second day and comes out there. If he's coming out to give you six or seven good innings to get closer to winning a world series, you would hope as we've already touched on that they could let bygones be by, bygones, but that would certainly be a variable in any trade that you uh, that you partake in, I would assume. That's it. That's pretty good stuff. I love the trade talk. It's going to get a little bit juicier through the week as we get closer to that trade deadline. Again, we're going to do our best to get out a podcast before that trade deadline and talk about if there are any trades made or who else might pop into the picture, but it is that time. We have been grinding it out, just trying to get to this point. We teased it earlier, and here it is. Waddle, Tuttle, say. Blummer, what's going on? Hey, what'll Tuttle say? My favorite segment as well. Blum and Blummer hasn't jumped into that into that uh, spot yet, so it's fighting hard, but it hasn't got there yet. Um, I will say we're getting these podcasts longer. The the flow is better, so I'm excited about that. I think uh, we're starting to understand each other better. And as I fumble my words, I was going to say speak more clearly and make more cogent points, but it didn't it didn't come out right. Um, so we're going to go with the same Weddle Tuttle format, a serious topic, and then maybe a one that's a little more lighthearted. My serious topic today, uh, short and sweet, but uh, there was an article this week about another toddler uh, getting hit at a field. I believe it was uh, at the, I want to say the Jake, I don't even know what they call it now, but in Cleveland, uh, a toddler got hit at the other end of the uh, dugout. Uh, it's I like the Jake, but uh, it's now progressive field for sponsorship yeah. purposes. How about that? I, you know, I really am old school. I'm just going to call everything what it was. I still call where the Giants play Candlestick Park. So forgive me, folks. No, I'm kidding. No, but and I tell people, I go, man, I, you know, before Petco, I go, I played at Jack Murphy Stadium, so I do the same thing. It's just how we are, and that's how we were born and raised in baseball, man. That's right. I know Jack Murphy. I drive by all the time, and someone's like, "There's Qualcomm," and I go, "You mean Jack Murphy? Yeah, Qualcomm Stadium, and now there's Petco." I, you know, I, I, I throw it all out. So thank you for correcting me. So at Progressive Field in Cleveland, another child was hit. But let's let's be honest here, right? Should we extend the netting in the ballparks? Absolutely. Hello. We're not dummies, but parents, this is the same thing. The reason they have height uh, requirements for roller coasters at Disneyland. And all this, don't put your two-year-old right over the dugout in the front row. I realize that the experience is outstanding to be down there on the field. But if you're going to be on your phone and you're not paying attention, you're going to bring your three-year-old to the game and you're going to put the little earphones or the earmuffs on them because it's loud with you. 
don't sit in an area where they can get smoked by a foul ball. Like, I mean, this just seems so simple to me. And I'm not blaming the victim. I'm saying we make decisions every day like this. Do you put your toddler in the front seat with a seatbelt over their face? No. You put them in a booster seat in the back seat with a seatbelt that goes across their chest. These are just parental decisions. I think you pointed this out on a podcast prior. On the back of every ticket since the beginning of time, since there was Ebbets Field, and you know uh, all the other Keezers, uh, Keezar Stadium there in San Francisco, where the Niners used to play. There's been a there's been a disclaimer that says we're not responsible for you know balls and items leaving the field. It just doesn't make sense to me, and I would feel like a shitty parent if my kid got hit at a ball game. Unless it was, you know, an aberrant thing, unless it was something that was so rare and so unusual. But, you know, I, I just am frustrated. And now the media has gotten a hold of it. And they're like, oh, my God, another toddler got hit in the face by a, a line drive foul ball. What the heck is a kid doing sitting in the second row right at the end of the dugout? It doesn't make any sense to me. Please, please explain it to me, Blummer. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's unfortunate, and it, granted that the odds are very low because there are a lot of toddlers in in those seats, And it, but it, it really magnifies and exaggerates the point when a young child gets hit because we do not want that young child to, to move on in life with any issues, and I'm with you. It, it, it is frightening how fast the game is moving, and this unfortunately is how the game gets into the seats and you can warn, obviously we can warn everybody to, to no end. We can say it every inning, every pitch, watch out. There is a baseball coming your way. Don't ever think it's not going to be you. And I always, you know, obviously I haven't sat in the seats, a legitimate seat for good grief. I mean, in the playoffs, I sit in the seats, but uh, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's six times a year, maybe if I'm watching the Astros play in the playoffs, but having done that, I also understand that even my 15-year-old, I'm going to put myself in between the baseball and her. So even if, she, even if she's ready and capable of catching it, I'm, I'm going to put myself in harm's way before I let her try and manipulate catching that baseball. And, and that's just that that's that fatherly paternal instinct that kind of comes out. And maybe I'm a little bit different. Maybe I'm overcautious because I got four girls and I'm constantly thinking how to keep keeping harm away from them, namely boys. But, you know, when you're in a situation like that, we understand that exit velocities now. We understand baseballs are moving faster. So, yes, protect your child. There's so many other seats within the stadium to have a great vantage point, enjoy the game and have the fun. Because for me and Tuttle, our idea of baseball is fun. We love that. We love the strategics. We love the players. We love the downtime in between pitches where we can have the conversation, explain some of the situations. We love the beauty of the field. We love being in the ballpark and the atmosphere and the feeling it gives us. We want to transfer that to our kids. And if you take a kid to the game, that, that poor child who gets hit, are they ever going to go to a game again? Hell no. Because their memory is going to be, I had a rocket shot at me and I took it right off the grill and I'm not happy about it. And I still have the scar to this day. So netting, I'm in. Put the netting up. And it was funny because when the nets went to the end of the, hold on, before I, before, so I want netting. Do you realize that dugouts, when Tuttle and I were playing, never had nets on the front of the dugouts? Drink that in. We're playing Major League Baseball, and we are professional athletes, and they proceeded to put nets up in front of the dugouts to protect the players, for God's sakes. 
put the netting up, protect the fans who are not professional athletes and don't have the equipment or the glove or the wherewithal to see that ball coming. Okay. Extend the nets. And people who bitch and moan about extending the nets, where I want to ask you, Tuttle, and this is a question for everybody listening on the podcast, where are the most expensive seats in the ballpark? Yeah, front row. Right, right over the dugout, probably. I would say right behind a home plate, but they have netting, so I don't know. That's the thing. That's what, that I wanna, that's what I'm asking. The Diamond Club, the million-dollar seats in Yankee Stadium that you need to take out a mortgage to buy are behind a dang net. Extend the nets. They do it in Japan. They still draw crowds. And if I'm a fan and I'm bringing my, my kids to the ballpark, I get to sit behind the net, have a great view, get up close, possibly get some autographs or a ball tossed to me because the guys are still throwing the ball over the net. They're still signing autographs. And I don't have to panic about a rocket being hit at me. So, yes, extend the nets. I'm with you. But, yes, it, as a parent, it takes an extreme amount of responsibility to make sure that your child's welfare is in good shape at a ball game. It's tough. And, and, and highly regrettable. I feel terrible for those kids who get hit by the baseball. It's awful. I do too. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to downplay that, that, that I'm like some like cold hearted guy. I mean, I, you have four kids. I have three kids. I'm just saying most decisions we make towards our children are for their well being. I've, you've left me tickets at a game before I've left tickets for family and friends. Guess what? They usually sit under the first, you know, they sit under the thing. So even one of the high fault foul balls doesn't kind of interfere uh, with their with their enjoyment of the game and most of the ball players either have young families or kids that come to the game every night and it's kind of like a little daycare area up there there's nothing wrong with sitting under the first tier or sitting kind of back behind the net the way it is so i'll go back to where i started which is they should extend the nets and i don't know how quickly they can do that i know some stadiums are trying to implement it right now right after the all-star break that's great but we're we're responsible ultimately for the safety and well-being of our children. Just sit in a spot where you're not going to get smoked. That's all it is. I mean, you know, even if your seven-year-old brings his glove to the game, don't have them sit right where they're going to hit a night. You know, you guys talk about exit velocity every day. You guys should talk about the exit velocity on the foul ball. Like, oh my gosh, that was 117 miles an hour and it went whizzing over the dugout. Like, that's just crazy. When I was in college, my old girlfriend's dad had tickets to the Kings hockey games. And we used to sit up behind the goal, the, the, yeah, uh, up behind the, uh, the rink, but one of the goals, we sat at the end and a puck got deflected up there and hit my girlfriend's sister in the knee. And she got like six stitches. Guess what they did? I mean, this is back in the nineties, but guess what they've done? They put netting. There's netting behind the, the goals at the hockey games. I mean, there's just simple things that you can do. Um, but as a parent, we, we got to be on our toes and it's ultimately our responsibility to make sure our kids are safe at the ball game. So let's all get in this together. Let's all hold hands. Kumbaya. Let's extend the netting and let's be better parents. Thank you. All right. That's almost like a, uh, yeah, thank you. That's almost like a, a public service announcement. Uh, the second, the second topic's a little lighter. I happen to catch uh, an interview with Max Scherzer this week. And so this is going to be a little hitter pitcher stuff, but uh, Max Scherzer's hoping to come off the IL here shortly. Got a bad back. That's because he's carrying the Washington Nationals on his back every time he gets on the bump. Like, hey, Max, how did you hurt your back? Well, I've got I got twenty four guys. guys. Yeah, me and Rendon, like half a Rendon. Me and Rendon are carrying this team, and I just I just tweaked it a little bit. Um, Max Scherzer, awesome point. He said. Why do we record, reward guys for a drop third strike? 
He's like, I throw a nasty pitch three feet outside the plate. The catcher can't even catch it. And the guy swings at it and misses. And he gets awarded first base. Like, we need to make a rule change. And I was like, I've never heard that. But I'm on the Max Scherzer political campaign to outlaw the drop third strike rule. I mean, if you win the World Series on a drop third strike, which I'm sure there's some, in, you know, some history back there. Uh, I, I agree with Max. That should you guys should not be rewarded for that. What say ye, Jeff Blum, the hitter, who has probably struck out on Randy Johnson's nasty slider eight feet away from the zone? That should be an out. You are out. Go back to the dugout, turn your hat sideways, and deal with it. Spoken like a true pitcher. Good grief, Tuttle. Have you ever you haven't you got to give a little bit of respect to the catcher who's battling, trying to catch your gnarly stuff, come flying in there. You, you yank one. And yes, I, on at times I have swung at a pitch that's been four feet out in front of home plate or six feet outside because I have no idea what that ball is doing. And I have advanced and gotten on base on a strikeout. Uh, you know, the, there's nothing more proud in a, in a hitter's life than getting to first base on a strikeout. <laughs> standing at first base giving your batting gloves to the first base coach as he as he tries to tell you that you know the guy's time to home plate and you're trying to be like man i just got on base after i struck out this sucks um see even you're embarrassed it is embarrassing but at the same time i'm a team player tuttle and the team needs to be on base and if that's how i get on base that's how i get on base how frustrating is it as a pitcher when that run comes around to score too by the way Ah, oh, I mean, more frustrating than a leadoff walk, which I hated to do as well. You know, it cracks me up. And like you said, it's like when you walk, you can walk down to first base like, yeah, you, you were afraid to throw me a strike. Here's my bat. Here's my shin guard. Here's my elbow pad. Here's my this. Instead, you swung at a pitch eight feet outside. <laughs> you swung at a pitch eight feet outside. You missed it. And then, you know, you're down there taking your shin guard and your elbow pad off. And like you said, you're blushing. You're trying to hide somewhere. You got to dig a hole. Instead, you steal second base, get in on a base hit. It just doesn't seem right, man. That's all. That's all for what will Tuttle say. That's a pretty special right there. There's a unique way of looking at it. But, uh, you know, I, the, the only other option is don't be overly nasty. Just make a pitch, you know. Just don't don't throw it so nasty. <laughs> That's terrible. So you're not addressing the issue here. So we've talked about old school versus new school. That was a big topic last one with where you're going to hit the guy. I mean, they're talking about moving the mound back. They're talking about, you know, they're talking about making a ton. Oh, go ahead. So can we make a trade? So if, if I, if we count that as a strikeout, the runner can't get to first, you need to give me the ability to steal first base. If a ball gets by the catcher earlier in the at bat. <laughs> I, I mean okay that's fine I, I, that, I mean i guess we're supposed to be playing pitch and catch I, that's fine it's better than moving the mound back there's so many ways to speed up the game but i, I i'm just the i'm you know max can punch me when he meets me or sees me i'm just using his words to say look if there's some change to be made we want to speed up the game you know less base runners that's fine you do not get rewarded or awarded first base when you swing and miss it at a pitch that the, it's so nasty that you can't hit it and the catcher can't catch it. I mean, like you said, I, throw it closer to the plate, throw you a meatball, and then you can get a hit and get on base, and that might be the solution. But anyway, I really liked his uh, his take on that, obviously, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna start petitioning for that. 
I like it. Tuttle's on a soapbox. He's going to get that rule changed. Watch out, Rob Manfred. There's your speed up rule. I mean, some of them have been ludicrous. That one actually, you you have a, a comment to actually make and some evidence to back it up to say, yeah, if the guy strikes out and doesn't run to first base, I don't face another pitcher. I don't throw more pitches. That guy's out. We move on. So interesting take. But as a hitter, uh, you're, it's going to be it's going to take a little bit more. It's going to take a little bit more. But uh, good job on what Tuttle say. We, we gave you gonna... the baseball, the harder <laughs> baseball. The more, I mean, the ball that flies out lower. Ceiling. I mean, we're 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 making a lot of concessions. Let's. Uh, I'm going to bring Verlander in on the next podcast. We'll ask him what he thinks about that. Right, the changes oh they made. So anyway, sorry. No, you're you're absolutely correct. <laughs> you could, you would get a lot of pitchers on your side about that, especially some of these guys who maybe are. No offense to some of the catchers out there, but there's going to be catchers who can't handle some of that filthier stuff. So it's going to lead to some of those pass ball strikeouts type situations, which is incredibly unfortunate, but totally within the rule book. Now, until True. Tuttle get till Tuttle uh, gets that petition going, make sure you get at real David Tuttle and let him know how you feel about the rule change that he wants to implement. But we're going to move on real quick. I've got something real brief and blum and blummer. It's nothing too exciting. But it is something kind of fun that everybody looks forward to throughout the course of the Way year. Way to especially... sell it, Blummer. Huh. I expected the Rocky Mountains to be a little rockier than this. I was thinking the same thing. That's Jeff Blum's. Full of shit, man. Way to sell it. It's not... yeah. All right, folks. That was what I'll Tuttle say. Now, uh, this is nothing too exciting, but here we go. No, I'm just. Uh, well, I can't compete. What I'll Tuttle always gets after it. Now, you know, this is me being uh, ill prepared. And the only thing that I wanted to talk about in Blum and Blummer was a little self promotion. It's uh, the Hall of Fame weekend is coming up at the end of this road trip, and I'm thoroughly unprepared, but I've been invited again for the second year in a row to participate in the Home Run Derby. And I'm, I'm nervous. I am always nervous until I put my hands on the bat. Then I have that false sense of hope, like, man, I still got a couple left. And thankfully, we're, t- we're hitting off a of Javier Bracamonte, the bullpen uh, catcher for the Astros, who throws a phenomenal BP. But it's going to be a lot of fun. They're, in, they're actually starting a hall of, an Astros Hall of Fame, which I think is a brilliant idea. They're going to recognize 16 guys going in, which will be a lot of fun for these guys to be recognized and get to acknowledge them again. And it's going to be myself. Brian Bogusevic, Luke Scott, who won it last year, and Tuttle. In a unique twist this season, the guy I got traded for in 2003, Brandon Backey, who is a pitcher, will be in the Home Run Derby. You excited? Wow. Yeah. I So I know Brandon Backey a little bit. Do you? Why is, I, yeah, Brandon Backey was a good two-way player. He could actually swing the bat a little bit, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he played. Ask him if he played with the Diamondbacks. I recall he played with the Diamondbacks for a short period because I think I met him in AAA, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Hmm. Just another little guy, but yeah, that's letting him hit in the home run derby. Hmm. I guess this is why you're nervous. You do not want a pitcher beating you guys in the home run derby. I don't know if Luke Scott's nervous, but man, all it needs is that one little like, oh, back. He's got five home runs. Oh my gosh! Like, and then it's all over from there. You, they, he'll get in your nugget. No, that's so true. And everybody's going to use that. It's funny how people like, you know, you know, try and rag on me about the home run derby. I mean, it, it, I want to win. I want to hit a lot of home runs. But at the same time, I'm like, bro, my, I'm old, man. Things hurt. 
but uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'll get out there and give it my best. And I think what the adjustment I'm going to make this year too is I'm going to strictly hit right-handed and I'm going to abuse the Crawford boxes. I'm not going to hit left-handed. I got cocky last year. I hit three home runs right-handed. I'm like, Psh, I'm going to go to the other side and show these guys I can do it from both sides and just played wall ball. I could not elevate that thing and get it over the wall. So uh, I'm going to stick strictly right-handed. I'm going to work on my launch angle here on this road trip in my hotel room with my bat. I packed it with my golf clubs and I'll be dry hacking in my, in, in my hotel room. So envision that, trust me, I'll have shorts on or something. And then uh, when we get back, I'm going to head over to the cage locally here in uh, Katy, Texas and try and take some swings and get ready for this home run derby, but it's going to be a lot of fun. And yes, there is some concern about Brandon Backey hitting home runs in front of me. Yeah. So Brandon Backey did not play for the Dimebacks, So I mistaken identity, but I will say that that is a a mental game that you guys are going to have to play with yourself. And more importantly about taking swings is, you know, you need to take swings so you don't throw your back out and things like that. I mean, that's, I'm serious. I mean, that, you know, we, we really, on this podcast, we're really concerned because I like, you know, we want our weekly meeting to happen. You throw your back out, it might, might put the podcast in jeopardy. I don't want that. So you got to take some practice swings, you know. Keep the head still. Stay. Keep the front side closed. Ha ha. As you yank <laughs> the ball out of the yard. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I, I, I think I would be nervous too. That's all I got to say. Yeah, it, it'll be fun. And hopefully, we're using baseballs that are used in regular season ball games, which will probably help me out a ton as far as launch mode because we know they're traveling a little bit further, a little bit faster. It'll be a lot of fun to get out there. And yes, definitely, that's the biggest concern because I actually had, I mean, not to, to, you know, bore you to death with injuries and stuff like that, but I, I literally three weeks ago had. I had four injections into my lower back to take away some of the pain. So who knows if I might be back in the, in there getting some more shots. Um, yeah, not the ideal situation to go out there, swing as hard as I can and get some podcast ending injury, uh, go on the PL, the podcast list. But uh, it'll be a lot of fun. I know it's been a good podcast. We've hit on some great topics. Tuttle, you've done a great job. You got anything uh, that you want to finish off this podcast with or pump them up from the next time we come on? Man, I had so many things. Uh, I'm going to throw one thing I threw at you off air, and maybe TK will be mad at me, but uh, I was watching the Astros broadcast this week, and um, they I guess this is a common occurrence for you guys, but you always flash back and show when TK worked for the Devil Rays, I want to say that Rays, uh, they put him in the hot tub out in Arizona, and they keep showing that little snippet on air. And the one thing I had, this was not to make fun of TK, is, I mean... I've met TK once or twice, and you know him obviously very well. He's a tan man. I mean, that dude is dark. And I just thought they put that little hot tub snippet up on TV, and he did not look tan. And the first thing I thought of was not really about TK because I went selfish. I thought if they ever put Blum in that hot tub, or me for that matter, how how much like Casper the Friendly Ghost would we look like? We must be pasty white. I was like, man. TK is a tan dude. He does not look that tan in the hot tub. That does not bode well for white dudes like ourselves. So that's all I wanted to say about that. But just don't ever put me on TV in a hot tub. Dude, I'm with you on that because TK did make it look good, but he was a much lighter shade than he normally is. He, he is. he has got that Hawaiian skin that just tans up beautifully in the summertime. And if you put me in that tub 
and tried to put it on TV, I'd look like a jellyfish. You know, it might be translucent floating around that pool. So I am grateful that he has done that, and I will not do that ever in my life. Yeah, because I, I would look like somebody put just a white tarp into the tub and just let it float around. It would not be pretty. That's like someone's showing somebody bungee jump, like, oh, there's TK bungee jumping. I'm not going to do that, right? You're just, I mean, it's it's not as daring, but just having him in the hot tub, you're like, nope, I'm never going to do that. Thanks so much. And then uh, the last thing I want to finish on, actually, uh, we always, uh, you know, thank the first responders and everybody else. But uh, the th and I know uh, Roy Halliday was not a first responder, but obviously he was taken uh, a little too early from us. But watching his wife give that speech this week was really touching and really special. And I thought um, we talked about Jake Marisnik, and I, I will compare the two about how you want to raise your children and and the examples that you want to set. But man, even his wife speaking about uh, about him in a way where you know he wouldn't necessarily have wanted this attention to be in the Hall of Fame. You know, it, it was just very humble. You could just tell he was a humble guy, and it just translated uh, into the family. So, uh, and not taken away from the first responders or anything else, because uh, typically we talk about them so that we can. Um, you know, honor them and respect them. But that, that, that this week was something that really just touched me, how humble his wife was, how humble, um, the speech was. And I, I just have to believe that's a reflection about, uh, or of his, you know, his humbleness as a man and, you know, what he meant to the game and how he respected the game. So I don't know if you saw any snippet of that, I'm not trying to take a, a screeching left turn here, but I was really, uh, I was really touched by that speech, and I hope that people can uh, understand and respect that. Many of the ball players, we continue to talk about steroids, and you know, should that guy get in the Hall of Fame? And it's really about their ability on the field. You know this, and I know this, um, just from doing the podcast with you. Uh, it, it's a small fraternity, baseball players, and most of the guys in this fraternity are fantastic people and great teammates and, you know, good family men and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, kudos to his wife for giving a fantastic hall of fame speech, which I know must've been really difficult. Yeah. Unfortunately I was working during the hall of fame, uh, you know, induction speeches and things like that. So I did miss out, but the beauty of modern technology is, is that we can get on YouTube and probably find it and enjoy that because I agree. It was an honor to have him, in, inducted into the Hall of Fame, and I'm sure that his wife did a phenomenal job. And he's one of those guys that was just such a fierce competitor on the mound. And then off the field, he was a very good family man. And these guys, I think what's great about these speeches, as good as they were, they were still they were still people and still very good people that we get to recognize. Uh, and it is a tight fraternity, and it was kind of painful to, to understand that uh, he was put in there posthumously, where it would have been really great to have him there and, and, and realize the the you know, the dream coming true of playing the game as hard as he did for as long as he did, as well as he did, and then getting recognized for it. But it's great for the family. It's great for the kids, too. That's something I'm sure they'll never forget. And I'm sure a lot of the fans and a lot of uh, people there talking to Jeff Bagwell said that's something that he was very moved by. And uh, great stuff, Tuttle. We do want to thank all the first responders that are out there protecting us, uh, you know, rushing into dangerous way to keep us healthy. And uh, God bless all the military out there doing the same thing at home and abroad. We are thinking about you and another very good podcast. Tuttle, man, you have been on point. You, uh, you're, you're the Max Scherzer of this podcast. Your back should be killing you by the end of these things. So I think you did a great job. It's been good being on with you, man. 
It's great as always, and I realize you talk for a living, so uh, it's nice to have an hour uh, per week to sit with you, and uh, you let me take over the airways, so to speak. But uh, I'm really enjoying it, and uh, it was great to see you last week, and I just hope uh, we can con uh, can continue this uh, podcast for some time. We definitely will. And the most important thing about Bleacher Blums is we want you to get after it, and most of all, believe it. Believe it. When you single doubts And around It filters through